Amen. Good morning. Hope you guys are good. Um, glad to see you. Welcome if it's your first time. I want to see uh, how many college students are here today that you just got back in town maybe this week. Any college students? You raise your hand. Yep, yep, yep. Glad to have you guys back or here for the first time. Uh, we love the fact that you're back until we go to Walmart, Zaxby's, Dunkin' Donuts, um, Chick-fil-A. I'm kidding. Uh, we do love having you guys here. You bring a lot of energy, a lot of life. Um, and so glad you're back uh, with us. Um, today we're going to continue this series called Grace, the Power of God. Um, and we're going to be in the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 3, uh, one of my favorite books of the Bible because I think it deals with something that um, I struggle with personally, but we just as a people, as believers, as the church struggle with um, immensely as well. Um, before we start, I want to give you a, a definition of grace um, that we really use around here. You know, grace is the unmerited favor, the unconditional love of God, but that's not all. It's the unconditional love of God, the, the unmerited favor of God that moves God to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. It's the unconditional love, the unmerited favor of God that moves God to do in us what we can't do for ourselves, that moves God to do through us what we can't do for ourselves. And so when we look at grace, it's huge. It's, uh, as Peter says in 1 Peter, it's multifaceted. It's a manifold grace. It's, it's vast. It's huge. It's powerful. It's the, uh, an aspect of God, part of God that uh, is responsible for our salvation, responsible for our transformation as the Spirit works on our behalf because of this unconditional love and this unmerited favor. So Galatians chapter 3, we're going to be looking at grace again today. Um, if you want to turn there, or get it on your phones, whatever. If you don't have anything, it'll be on the screen. But we'll read this and then we'll pray. It says Galatians chapter 3 verse 1, you foolish Galatians, let me stop right there, sorry. Paul is writing, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the churches in an area called Galatia. What he's writing about, and you're going to see as we just saw in this first sentence, that this is a very emotional, passionate letter that Paul is writing to them because he is afraid that they are about to walk away from the faith in the gospel that he had preached to them. What's happening is some false teachers are coming in and they're beginning to tell these Galatian believers that if you really want to be a true Christian, then you have to be circumcised for the males and all people that say they're a believer in Jesus must follow the law the, of Moses, the, the Ten Commandments. You've got to live these out perfectly. And so when he comes to them and he begin, they, they begin to tell these Galatian believers, you must be circumcised. It wasn't just about a surgery. The circumcision for the Jewish people was an identity marker. It was something that told everyone that they belonged to the one true God. And so now these, these Jewish Christian teachers, these teachers who are coming in with this false gospel, they're telling the people, you have to be circumcised. This is the mark that you belong to God. They're coming, and so it's a big theological issue, not just a surgery. When he comes in and he says, and follow the law of Moses, they're basically trying to put them back into this place of bondage where they are to earn their salvation through their own effort. And this goes 180 degrees against what we believe 
the gospel is. Because we believe this, that we are saved by faith in Jesus. We are saved by faith alone, through grace alone. That is where our salvation comes from. Not through our effort, not through our works. We could not save ourselves. If we could save ourselves, then as Paul says in the very end of chapter 2 in Galatians, Jesus died for nothing. But he didn't because we needed a savior. And so this is what we're reading. He is fearful that these people are about to walk away from the, the, the gospel that he proclaimed, being drawn away by these teachers who are trying to put them back under this bondage of works-based salvation. And so he says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. What he's saying there is, you know, when I came to you, you know, the gospel I preach that Jesus came to earth. He took the form of man. He was fully man and fully God. He took your sin upon himself. He went to the cross. He took the punishment, the condemnation, the judgment for that sin. He was put into a tomb, dead for three days. God raised him to life. He ascended to heaven. When he ascended to heaven, he sent back his Holy Spirit to you. This is basically what Paul is summing up in this one statement, that before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. He's saying, look, you can't plead ignorance on this. You know very well what the gospel I preached to you was. And he says in verse two, I'd like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law? He's dealing with this issue of works-based salvation. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Now, Paul knows full well the answer to this question. He's asking the question so that they'll have to think about the answer. He says, are you so foolish? After beginning, and this is the crux of really where I want us to start today. Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish or trying to be perfected by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much or have you suffered so much in vain if it really was in vain? So again, I ask, does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? So we're going to pray. Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you. As the song said, thank you for a love like this. Thank you, God, for a love that we can't outrun. A love that never quits. A love that never gives up. A love that never grows tired. Thank you, God, that when we were at our worst and we're not even mindful of you in the least, Lord, you were mindful of us. Even before the foundations of the world, Lord, you knew what it would take to bring salvation to this world. And God, you loved it so much that you sent your son. And God, I thank you that he didn't come in as a king who would come in to condemn and judge us in that place, Lord, but you came to save. Lord, I thank you for that. Lord, I pray today that this message, your word, Lord, it wouldn't be something that comes and tries to convince through eloquence or God, I know I'm not eloquent, but God, through some kind of persuasive speech, but God, that it would come in power, that our faith would rest on the power of the gospel, not on anything else, through the power of your spirit, opening our eyes to the truth of Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would do that. Would you free us from any ounce of works-based salvation that is holding us in bondage and keeping us from living the life that you've called us to live? Would you deliver us from that today that we can truly live for you? 
We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So how many of you have experienced this? If you're a believer, um, how many of you, maybe you know others who've experienced this? But when you first got saved, right, it was where it was like it literally was you coming to life. It was like the sin, the, the weight, the burdens you felt were lifted off. Um, there was a lightness to life. There was joy. There was excitement. There was passion. There was a desire to grow. There was a desire to know God more. And, and when we first got saved, those things were so alive in us. But then for how many of us was this the experience? After a little bit of time, maybe it was a few weeks, uh, a few months, we started noticing that that passion seemed to dwindle. It seemed to begin to wane. It seemed like the joy just wasn't there as much. It seemed like the passion and pursuit of God just wasn't there as much. And, and it began to grow a little bit stale. Has anybody else other than me kind of experienced that in their life and in their salvation, right? Yeah. And here's the thing I can tell you, though, is God does not grow stale. It's not just the experience we're supposed to have that for a few months we're just on fire for God and passionate and wanting to know him more and grow. And, and, and people even tell you this, well, now it's just kind of up to you. You just keep pursuing God. I don't believe that that is what God desired for us. I don't see that with people in the Bible. Sure, they had ups and downs. They had times when they weren't as passionate as others. But I see this trajectory that was up and to the right with their love for God. You can obviously look at Scripture. And the Apostle Paul loved Jesus more at the end of his life than he did at the beginning of his journey with Jesus. It was this growth, this passion, so, so much so that he could make comments like, you know, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Why? Because I actually attain what I've been in pursuit of all this time, the perfect presence of God. And so we see this, this is a part of our experience oftentimes as Christians. I would call this in Christianity like this great Christian relapse. It's the great relapse that many of us go through. Many of us have experienced relapses of different types, right? Um, relapse basically meaning that you were in a better place and now you've reverted back to a worse place. That's all it really means. Some of it's been through addiction and things like that. We've experienced relapses. We're in a better place, relapse back to a worse place. Some of us, it may have been other things like maybe say a diet. Anybody? How many of us have Lost weight, put it back on. Lost weight, put it back on. Lost weight, put it back on. Anybody? We, we got to a better place. We, re, we relapsed back to a worse place. If I had all the weight I, I have lost and put back on, lost and put back on, it would probably be about the equivalent of a third grade classroom, right? Just a lot of it. And so we relapse. We go backwards. And for us, this relapse from living in the grace of God, the love, the favor, of God. God, listen, doing for us what we can't do for ourselves. We get to this better position and it happens through faith. But there's this relapse that happens that takes us all the way back to this place, almost like where we were before. Feeling sometimes alienated from the life of God. Let me tell you a little bit about what this great 
relapse, this returning to this legalistic workspace relationship with God does, one of the things it does is it turns the good news into bad news. It makes grace where it wasn't, where it once was amazing. It's not that amazing now. Why? Because I'm working for it. It, it, It's become a burden. It makes the gospel of grace a gospel of works. It turns freedom into bondage. It turns forgiveness and acceptance back into this feeling of condemnation. It turns joy into a burden. It turns passion into apathy. It it, it turns gratitude for God's grace into this entitled self-righteous life. It turns self-sacrifice into self-preservation. It turns lovers of God into lovers of their image. Why? Because we clean ourselves up. We work really hard to make ourselves something. We forget that it's God who got us started on this path in the first place. And so we fall in love with this self-righteous image that's been created. This great relapse causes us to move from living in God's ability to living in our own ability. It causes us to leave the church It causes the church to be this entity that instead of being full of life and the power of God, what we are left with is a form of godliness that looks the part, but we have no power. Why? Because we have begun to depend on what we can do, not on what God can do. Here's the good news. We can live with passion for God. We can find freedom from this bondage of condemnation and working for acceptance and this this feeling of being back in slavery. We can find freedom from the law and works-based salvation. We can even find the power for right living. It is possible. Here's what's where it's not possible. It is not possible for you to will it to happen. You cannot make it happen. You can try as hard as you want to. You can't make it happen. You cannot add to what Jesus has done and walk in the power of God. You can't think that you can save yourself and experience God's grace consistently, the power of God consistently. So the question then is, how do I not relapse? Or if I have, if I'm back in this place of law-based living, legalistic living, I'm, I'm just working and trying to be good. I'm trying to do enough good to outweigh the bad. I'm trying to make God proud of me. I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying, but I feel like I'm failing. I feel like it's frustrating. I'm so frustrated because I can't change me. I can't do anything about this. The question is, how do we get out of that? I want to tell you this to start with. It begins with a revelation and an experience of God's love. This is where it begins. This is where it begins for us. This is, in other words, this is the catalyst for the rest of our life that causes us to be in pursuit of God. I want you to hear a few scriptures that point to this. One of them is Romans 12.1. 
Paul says this. He says, in view of God's mercy. See, in the first 11 chapters, he's laid out this incredible argument of the gospel and what the gospel really is. And he says, now in view of God's mercy, offer your lives as living sacrifices. See, here's the thing. If you've never seen and experienced God's mercy, offering your life as a living sacrifice to God to be pleasing to him, it doesn't make sense. Why would I offer my life to God? But when I've seen, I've experienced the mercy of God, that instead of God giving me judgment, he gave me love. Instead of God condemning me, he's loved me and accepted me. When I see the mercy of God, it makes sense that I want to live for this God. Another passage, 2 Corinthians 5, 14, Paul writes this to the church in Corinth. He says, Christ's love compels us. And he says this, this is the reason. For we are convinced that Christ died once and for all. What causes him to be compelled? The love of God. Why? Because he sees what God has done. The love of God in action through Jesus. Another one. Let's actually go and read this one. In 1 Peter, towards the very back of your Bible. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 and 3. Listen to this. Paul says, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Notice those things are things that divide people. He says, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. And so he's given these things that you and I should do, right? He's saying, do these things. Get rid of these sins that divide crave pure spiritual milk, desire to grow up in the Lord. He's saying these are things that we should be doing. But listen to what he says. He gives us the reason. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. See, to tell people those things who haven't tasted that the Lord is good, it makes no sense. But when we've tasted that the Lord is good, it makes complete sense. See, this is something that I know from my own experience. See, 21 and a half years ago, 21 and a half years ago is when I got saved. I want to share a part of my testimony. Some of y'all, y'all have heard it 14,000 times. Some of y'all heard it, but I only got one salvation, like been saved once. So it's the only one I got. But 21 and a half years ago, I was saved. When I was thinking about that yesterday morning, I was like, Holy cow, how many people are going to be there that aren't even 21 years old yet, right? If you're not 21 yet, raise your hand. Figured that. You're a liar. Um, So you look at this. I'm like 21 and a half years ago. And and see, let me set this up. Before I got saved, my life was not headed in a good direction. I was doing a lot of things that were against the will of God, against the heart of God for my life, for what was best for my life, what God desired for me. I was doing a lot of those things, really, really, um, some really bad things, right? And I was really good at it. Anybody else that was really good at it, right? Don't lie. Some of y'all did it with me. I know you're good at it, right? I won't call you out by name, but you were there. And I mean, I, I was good at it, like, Everybody else would go back to the hotel room. I'm still there. I'm like, man, they soft. I'm the last of the hard. You know what I'm saying? It's like 
Let's go. I remember one time um, I was actually had gone to Texas on a business trip. And we had gone out after a meeting. They took us to dinner. And this was when I was doing roofing. And they took us to dinner. And then later I went to this bar. And I was actually there with two other guys who I couldn't even really communicate with. There was a language barrier. And we couldn't even communicate. But I go to this bar with them. So I'm in this bar with, I don't know how many people I don't know. It was crowded. And guy starts buying shots. So I'm just in there. I don't even know. I'm just in there doing shots with people I don't even know. And then the next thing I know, I wake up with my head hanging over the back of a chair. And when I raise my head to look around, they're sweeping up the bar. I'm the only one left. Thankfully, the hotel was not very far, so I was able to walk back to the hotel and get to my room. How you doing? My name's Pastor Brandon. You should all be like me, right? And I think about that, and I'm like, my gosh, where was I going? Where was I going? Two weeks before I got saved, I was down in Savannah, on a bachelor party on St. Patrick's Day. It's so funny. Every time I say that, the whole crowd's like, ooh. Because you know this did not go well. We weren't handing out gospel tracts. Right? And so we were in, this, in several bars, and we're just going around. Um, we finally are ready to head home at some point in the morning. And we're walking back to the van. We had gotten a 15-passenger van because that's really safe with that many drunk people. And so we, we get in, go into the van, and, and a guy who, he's still around town, still a friend of mine, he looked at me, and he said, I've been married for four months. He looked at me and said, I'll give you six more months, and you'll be divorced. He thought it was kind of funny. <laughs> but as drunk as I was, like, I knew in that moment, like, oh, my gosh, man, he's probably right. Because the path I was headed down, I was eventually going to do something really, really stupid. And it was going to end really, really, really bad. Two weeks later, I went on this retreat. And as a guy is preaching the gospel, and I'll be honest with you, he, he was making me mad because he was calling out everything I'd been doing. And I was getting ready to leave. I wanted to get up and walk out. And I didn't hear God audibly like a voice that was like from heaven, and, but I heard as clearly as I could hear. First of all, why don't you shut up and listen to him? And second of all, all you got to do is turn around. And when I turned around in that moment, I ran headlong into a loving father, a God who didn't condemn me, but embraced me and gave me new life. And the love I experienced on that day is the reason that I stand before you right now. 
There's been times I wanted to quit. I wanted to give up. There's been times I got angry with God over different things. But I want you to understand this. An experience with God's love and then continuing to desire that experience is what's carried me for the last 21 and a half years. The reason we don't fall back into this law-based living is because we experience the love of God and the love of God is greater than the law. We see that when we see Jesus on the cross. It's this revelation and experience of God's love. Where does it come from, though? Like, where does this revelation come from? Where does the love of God come from? Look at Romans chapter 5. Remember this now in Galatians 3. This is what we're looking at where he said, You foolish Galatians, you began in the spirit. Are you trying to be perfected in the flesh? Romans chapter 5, verse 5. Paul is talking about how we've been made right with God through faith. And he says this in verse 5. He says, and this hope we have basically is what he's saying. Hope does not put us to shame or it does not disappoint because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, in other words, when we still could not do anything about it, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. He says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Where does this come from? It comes from the love of God being poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. That God puts his seal on us. He, he shows us. He says, you are mine because he pours his spirit out into us. And it, in, with his spirit comes this love that he gives. So love is the catalyst. Love is what initiates and, and continues the pursuit, the passion of God. And love is poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. How, though, is the Spirit given? The Spirit is given through faith. Through faith. Look at Galatians chapter 2, back to the book of Galatians. Paul writes this, I'd like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? How did you receive the Spirit? Did you work hard enough so that God finally just relented and said, yeah, you've done enough now. I'll give you my spirit. I'll, I'll love you now. Or did he say, you just believe the gospel? Jesus crucified for my sin, raised to bring me to life. How did you receive the spirit? He knows the answer. The answer is through faith. So through faith, I received the spirit. What does that mean? It means when I hear the message of Christ, that the Spirit of God works in me and opens my eyes to see this is the truth. Jesus did do what the Bible says. And all of a sudden, I realize that I need him. I need a Savior. And I know who he is. And I say, yes to Jesus. 
and he pours his spirit out into me. He gives me his spirit, and through his spirit, he pours out his love, and his love continues with me. It abides with me. Faith, spirit, love. It's the experience of what happens when we come to faith in Christ. See, here's the truth, guys. You can work as hard as you want to work to fulfill the law, but all the law is going to do is condemn you. The law is perfect. The problem is we aren't. Work as hard as you want to, but you will not make yourself right with God through your effort. You can work as hard as you want. So the other day we were over at some friend's house and it was getting dark, so they were going to put some lights on. And my friend is vertically challenged as I am. And so the lights were up high. And so he called Reed, my, my little 10-year-old. He said, hey, come get on my shoulders. And so he picks him up, and he goes walking over there with him. And then Reed reaches up and puts the, uh, uh, plugs the lights in. And then he comes back down and sets Reed down. And we go about the night, right? Well, then later, as we're kind of getting ready to leave and putting everything up. Jackson, my 15-year-old, who's not vertically challenged as I am, just walks over and reaches up and just unplugs it. That kind of makes me angry, right? Like, why am I short, you know? And so here's this thing, like, we can either work really hard for it or we can just accept the fact that Jesus has done it for us. We can try to reach this really high standard and work for it. Or we can realize we'll never reach it and just accept the fact that Jesus reached this for me. He did this for me. And celebrate it. But you'll never work hard enough to outwork condemnation. You'll never work hard enough to make yourself right with God. It comes by faith in Christ. And when faith comes, the Spirit comes and the Spirit pours out God's love for us. See, fear never kept me living for God. But you know what did? Realizing that God loved me when I was at my worst. So here's the next question I would ask then. What the heck happens from receiving the Spirit, feeling all this joy, burdens lifted, all of these things, and experiencing God's love to finding myself back in this law-driven life? What happens? Let me tell you what happens. Here, this is what happens. You fall prey to your experience. That's what happens. You fall prey to your experience. Let me explain what this means. Everything in your life has taught you, if you want something good, work for it. Everything in your life has taught you that if you want to be loved, do right. 
Everything in your life has taught you, if you want to be accepted, then be good enough. And you know what we did? This broken system of the world we live in, we took it, and at one time we heard the gospel, and we thought this is incredible, freedom you know, from sin, freedom from all of this, and by faith we trusted Christ, and the sin literally, it was like it was separated from us from the east to the west, as the Bible says, and we felt this freedom, and then we got into it, and somewhat because churches kind of taught us this, but pretty soon we're back in this law-driven way of living, saying, I'm going to work really hard because I want God to be proud of me. I'm going to work. I'm going to work. Ooh, I kind of messed that up. God, I'm going to work back and let you love me again. And we turn back to this self-help gospel where I need to help Jesus. Is that not the dumbest way of thinking? The one that the Bible says, all things were created through and the one it says holds them all together and yet we're gonna help him hold our lives together. And so we come to this place where our experience, we just fall prey to our experience. We bring into the gospel this works-based mindset that we have always had because of the world we live in. And so we just start back working and working and working trying to be a good boy, a good girl, a good man, a good woman. We just keep working and working and working, and pretty soon the joy is gone. Grace isn't amazing. Life begins to feel more like death because I'm just going through the chores of, of, of every day. And one day becomes like the next, and there's no longer passion. It feels more like bondage, a struggle and condemnation. My passions turn to apathy. All of these things. A while back, I was thinking about the passage of Scripture where Jesus tells us to take up our cross daily and follow him. And I was just sitting there kind of meditating on that passage. And I felt like the Lord asked me this question. I felt like God just impressed upon my heart. Brandon, why are you always trying to carry my cross? Why are you always trying to carry my cross? Because what went on Jesus' cross? My sin. The burden for my sin. And I felt like what God told me is, Brandon, you are trying to carry a cross, one, you can't carry. Two, you're trying to carry a cross that has already been carried and has already been dealt with. Why are you trying to carry a cross for your sin when your sin has already died on that cross? I felt like what the Lord told me. He said, the cross you need to pick up and carry every day, the thing you need to die to every day is not your sin, it's your ability. Because you can't do anything on your own. If you will wake up in the morning and set your mind on things above, and you will remember that my grace is sufficient for you, and you will quit trying to live out of your own ability, and you'll just surrender to my ability, I will do what I want to do in and through you. Listen, it's really all about where our confidence lies. Does my confidence in my relationship with God lie in what I can do, or does my confidence in my relationship with God lie in what Jesus has done. But here's the thing, guys, like, do I just sit back then and let it happen? 
Does God just do it to me, right? Do I just sit on the couch eating potato chips and drinking Coke and like God's going to transform me? Is that, is that what I do? Do I do anything at all? This is what I would tell you. This is, what we, this is our part in the process. Continue as you began. Continue as you began. How did you begin? The power of grace, the power of the Spirit came to you through faith, through belief, through trust. You experienced the love of God through faith, through belief. It's just like Paul asked those Galatians, did you, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by faith? The answer is faith. How do I experience God every day of my life? Is it by working hard? Is it by policing sin? It's by faith. How does God save me? By faith. How does he transform me? By faith. But see, here's the thing. Our faith in and of itself is not where the power lies. Faith of any kind, it's faith in something. It's faith in an object. It's faith in someone. And for us as Christians, it's faith in Jesus. It's faith in a loving Father. It's faith in the power of the Holy Spirit to work in me, doing what I can't do for myself. It's finally dying to my ability to change me and living in the freedom of knowing that if I'll just put my eyes on Christ and run the race that he's called me to, he will do everything in me, through me, for me, that needs to be done. What I'm called to do is live dependently on him. Luke chapter 11, this is where I want to bring this to an end. Jesus, in teaching his disciples how to pray, tells this story of a friend who, a guy who goes next door to a friend because he's had a visitor come at midnight, it's late. And he knocks on the guy's door and he asks for bread so that he can give his friend something to eat. But the guy in the house, he's a great friend. He's like, look, I'm in bed. I ain't getting up. And he says, he'll get up and bring this bread because the guy's persistence. He keeps knocking. And he's, Jesus says, he's not going to bring it because he's his friend. He's going to bring it just to get him satisfied, Right? Well, here's the thing. Jesus is not telling us that God is like that friend. Because listen to the next part. Jesus says this. He says, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, would give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, would give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Listen, it is a call to persistent 
prayer. It is a call to keep asking. It is a call to keep seeking. It is a call to keep knocking. But it's not because God is reluctant to give us his spirit, to give us grace, to give us the power for life. It's because he keeps on giving it. As we ask, we pray, we cry out to God. As we seek through his word, looking, just craving more of his presence. As we knock, we're just doing it persistently. Again, not because God's back there going, come on, hit it a little harder, I'll give you some bread. But because he keeps giving it. He keeps giving the Holy Spirit. He keeps giving his presence. We just keep knocking. And it's like this incredible relationship where he just keeps pouring out and pouring out and pouring out. Not every day is like the heavens part. Someday it's more like broccoli than it is like filet mignon. But you know what? Broccoli's good for you too. But I keep asking, I keep seeking, I keep knocking, I keep craving, desiring, requiring, demanding. God, I need your presence. I've tasted, Lord, that you are good. I don't want to do life without you. And by faith, I get up and I say, you know what? I'm struggling this today. There's some condemnation eating me up. There's some things going on, but this is what I know. I know I can go boldly before this throne of grace to receive mercy and grace in my time of need. Thank you, God, that I can come to you. Earlier, we sang the song, a song that talked about how it said, Spirit, you're all that I want. Spirit, come down and rest on us. Spirit, fill me. The thing about this is it can't just be the cry of our heart in here. It has to be the cry of our heart out there. I'm going to ask Chase, if he would, to sing this again, just part of this song again. But this is what I want it to be. I want it to be a declaration, yes, of our need right now, but I want it to be a declaration that we are going to continue to proclaim this when we leave this place, that we will not fall back into this relapse of living through law and works and all that, but we are going to live in the Spirit. We're going to live dependent upon the Lord. We're going to live in His grace. We're going to live in His truth. We're going to walk with Him. We're going to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and allow the power of God to flow through us. Would you stand? I'm going to pray and we're going to sing. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the truth. Lord, we do come and we ask and we seek and we knock, Lord. God, thank you that you give your spirit. I pray this would be the cry of our heart long after we leave this place, Lord. Long after, Lord. Would you fill us afresh, God? We worship you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.